You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's Polar Vortex time! Everyone, everyone, batten down your hatches. Do your, uh, burn things in your place of living. Is it moving? What was that? Uh, what was that movie a couple years back of just the cold was going to take us all? Uh, the day after tomorrow. Day after tomorrow. The day yes. before three days from now. Literally has one of my favorite scenes in cinematic history, which is a character trying to outrun the cold. Yeah, yeah. The cold is freezing behind Jake Gyllenhaal, and he is just like sprinting through the streets of New York City while like ice is over fire hydrants and sidewalks and stuff. Yeah. And then he just barely starts the stove in time before the freezing, <laughs> like he freezes apparently in place. Oh, uh, man. Which is not That's to mock totally that the cold that we should note that I am in New York City, which was today a high of around freezing at 32 degrees. You are in Denver, which is not polar vortex country, right? No, it is not. It is not. Right. Um, we've actually been, we had a couple of cold days, um, but today it is. Uh, well, what do we got here today? Oh, it says it's 43 right now, so sucks for the rest of you. <laughs> so the so the Rocky Mountains aren't even blue. Is that what you're telling me? No, no, it's not. You can't even tell if they're cold or not. Yeah, I know. That's that's totally a true thing, right? Like I've been led to yeah. believe by advertising yeah. that the yeah. Rocky Mountains turn blue when it's cold. Yeah, it's gonna be in the 60s here by the weekend. So, uh... <laughs> so we do sympathize, is what I'm saying, is that we Sorry, are in two places Chicago. that is not. Cold. <laughs> Yeah, um, we do sympathize with everybody who is extremely cold and just inside for this entire time. And hopefully you've brought us inside with you. Yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be doing our best to try to help you warm up, something like that. Yeah. Um, so, hey, welcome into this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast, number 194. My name is Tyler Mon. His name is Sam Dykstra, and we're talking all things minor league baseball this week. Coming up in just a little bit. The Cincinnati Reds first round draft selection from 2018, now the 53rd ranked overall prospect in the 2019 MLB Pipeline Top 100 rankings, which came out this past weekend. Jonathan India will join the show. We'll talk with Jonathan coming up here in just a bit. And uh, before we get to that and to Kelsey Hennigan joining Benjamin Hill in segment number three this week, uh, before we get to those, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. Give us a rating and review and a subscription if you would like on your podcasting platform. You can get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. Sam Dykstra on Twitter at Sam Dykstra MILB. I am at Tyler Mon. And uh, getting close to pitchers and catchers reporting, you can send us all of your uh, questions, thoughts, comments, concerns, especially about spring training because when you're freezing cold and you've got a spring training trip on the horizon, which two of us on this podcast right now do uh, and Josh Jackson does not, um, then <laughs> Don't you can send all of your questions and we will do our best to uh, give you some feedback on where to go, what to do, where to eat. Uh, ballparks to visit, games to watch, things to do, all of it. Get in touch. Do it. You know where to find us. You know where to find us. Uh, three strikes. This week's episode of the show before the show. Top 100 is out for 2019. MLB Pipeline unveiling its rankings on Saturday night. And uh, no surprise top prospect in all of baseball is one vladimir guerrero jr i know that'll come as a big shock to everybody uh the top 10 looks like this guerrero of the blue jays number one fernando tatis padres shortstop at number two eloy jimenez the chicago white Sox outfielder number three victor robles outfielder from the washington nationals robles checks in at number four royce lewis shortstop in the minnesota twin system number five nick senzel a third base slash second base slash outfielder in the cincinnati red system he is number six Back-to-back Astros prospects at 7 and 8, right-handed pitcher Forrest Whitley and outfielder Kyle Tucker. Another Twins prospect at number 9, and outfielder Alex Kirloff. And Colorado Rockies infielder Brendan Rodgers rounds out the top 10 uh, at the back spot of the top 10. And, uh, Sam, I don't think many surprises in – really, you could go even deeper than the top 10. There's not really a whole lot of guys that jump out as like, man, he is really high up there. I think maybe the highest guy who you kind of are starting to realize, like, that dude is going to be really good. Joe Adele is number 14, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim outfield prospect. We've known Joe Adele is a really good prospect for a while, but to see him moving up and up and up, um, maybe he's one of the guys that you look at as – all right, we're going to keep a close eye on Joe Adele because he's going to be probably in Salt Lake this year and maybe in Anaheim at some point. Um, what else about this top 100 really stood out to you? Yeah, so let's just dive into the numbers a little deeper 
um, in terms of categorization too while we're here. Uh, in terms of which farm systems have the most top 100 prospects, <clears throat> No surprise, I don't think, to see San Diego Padres still have 10, 10 top 100 prospects in the San Diego Padres system. 10% uh, of the prospects that MLB.com chose to rank uh, are you know, in that Padres pipeline. That's really astounding. Uh, Atlanta Braves have eight. The Chicago White Sox, Houston Astros, and Tampa Bay Rays have six. And the Toronto Blue Jays have five. Uh, followed by a couple teams of four and three. Uh, in terms of the bottom of the barrel there, all 30 teams are represented in this list. So no matter who you're a fan of, you're going to find somebody on here uh, that interests you. Uh, and team lists will be rolled out by the MLB.com uh, staff here in the next coming weeks. Um, but at the bottom of the barrel here, the Red Sox, Royals, Marlins, and Brewers all have one each. Uh, in terms of there, I'm kind of surprised the Brewers only come in at one, um, not because of – what they have now. I mean, Keston Hira is obviously a top prospect in that system. And a lot of systems would love to have him leading off at their number one spot. Um, but just the drop off from him uh, all the way down, he's ranked at number 20 and they don't have a prospect in that next 80 uh, kind of speaks to where the Brewers are right now in terms of a major league organization and a, uh, you know, in a farm system in general, you know, you trade for Christian Yelich, he becomes the NL MVP. Um, you're going to have to dip into your farm system, giving up Lewis Brinson, giving up Monte Harrison, giving up Isan Diaz, uh, Jordan Yamamoto. None of those guys are top 100 prospects, but it kind of speaks to what we're talking about here in terms of, you know, Brewers used to have a deeper system. They don't quite have that anymore. Uh, one of the other ones that is, it's still going to stand out to me. I know he finished the year, I think he was ranked 14th overall. He, he moves to number 13 here, so only gets up a bump once. But Wander Franco, uh, being on this list in the top 20 prospects is is really interesting and really cool. Um, I know some other lists out there have had him as high as the top 10, some even as high as the top five. Uh, I might be part of that camp. I think he is a little underrated here, even at 13, but that's amazing to say about a 17-year-old. Uh, he's going to turn 18 on March 1st, so this is – He's still going to be basically a, a high school senior this entire year. Uh, we fully expect him to at least start out this, this year in Class A full season ball. Uh, would not surprise me a lick if he moves incredibly quickly um, just because yeah, everything you hear about his bat speed and uh, you know his ability to drive the ball is really fantastic. He's a switch hitter. He hits from both sides, does it very well. Um, could be end up being a plus hit power hitter which at five foot ten 189 pounds that's his listed height and weight uh is really really something special so would not be surprised to see him be put on the fast track but this just kind of underscores just how good of a prospect he is at 17 um because it you know you don't find 17 year olds um you know a lot obviously 17 year olds aren't even drafted yet if they're american born um so for him to be kind of entering what would be his draft year if he was American born uh, already the 13th best prospect in baseball is still really cool. And uh, you know, really interesting to me. Um, but you know, like you said, I, I don't think there's too much, too many surprises here. Um, I think Victor Robles still being at four is kind of interesting, especially you know, coming off the elbow issue that he had last year. Uh, MLB.com still a big believer in him. Uh, Alex Kirilov, Staying at number nine, uh, you know, I think they're the kind of the high people on him a little bit. But after, you know, he was our breakout prospect of last year for him to move into the top 10 uh, is really cool. And, and this also, you know, looking at this list, you know, when I broke it down by position, 47 of them are uh, are pitchers and 54 are position players. You those for you of you who are doing math at home, that obviously equals 101. I'm including Brendan McKay in both camps on that one. Um, but so, yeah, it's pretty evenly split between position players and pitchers. That being said, the highest ranked pitcher this year is Forrest Whitley at number seven. Uh, and then it's Jesus Luzardo at number 12 uh, as part of the Oakland A's organization. I think we're continuing to learn more about how we should – value pitchers especially at the lower levels here um yes there, there could be a time when you know clayton kershaw might have been the number two best player in baseball at, at one point but injuries are such a problem with young pitchers that it's tough to value you know to to put forrest whitley who has a chance to have four plus pitches and 
might be the most exciting rookie pitcher we see in all of Major League Baseball. We'll get into that in a little bit this year. As much as I want to say he's a top five prospect, the idea that you know he could get hurt uh, next year. He he dealt with injuries last year. Uh, you know, it's so much easier to see pitchers break down. We've already seen that Brent Honeywell and Michael Kopech are highly ranked in in this you know new top 100, but. Kopech won't pitch in 2019. Honeywell didn't pitch in 2018. Alex Reyes is still a ranked prospect technically because he had a season-ending injury last year, and he's already undergone Tommy John surgery. So that's something just to keep in mind when you think like Forrest Whitley, his ceiling is, as Michael Jordan would say, the roof. Um, it's as high as a pitching <laughs> prospect really could be. Nice drop. But uh, what? Nice drop. Yes. The ceiling uh, is the I, roof. It's something we don't use enough, really. It's such a <laughs> such a great euphemism. Um, but just keep that in mind. Like Whitley feels like he could be the pitching equivalent of Fernando Tatis Jr. of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Um, but with the way pitching prospects break down so much more easily, uh, you have to take you know their scouting reports with a grain of salt, and that's how you end up with no pitching prospects in the top five. Uh, so yeah, like I said, all 30 organizations represented here, teamless are going to be rolled out by that, that team. They do really good work here. Um, really fun to dive deep out, down into this. And, uh, we're going to have our own farm system rankings, uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, we're starting to dig down into that now and, and start to have some discussions. We'll be breaking those down by position player, uh, by pitching groups, by 21 and under talent, and then overall. So, uh, keep an eye out for that, uh, next month in February. So you can check out the uh, new top 100 uh, MLB pipeline has it up on the site right now. They'll be coming out with their top 30 for each organization in February. So stay glued for that as well. And uh, strike two this week. Top 100 only includes the elitist of elite prospects in minor league baseball. And there are a lot of guys who probably could be on that list who aren't because there's some difficult calls to make when you get lower uh, in that list. Who do you think, Sam, of, of players who are not top 100? Uh, who do you feel like could make it in there at some point this year? Yeah, the one I, I really have circled here is Vidal Brujan uh, in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. He actually was ranked by MLB.com as the fourth uh, best second base prospect. Uh, second base you might think like, oh, well, why isn't the fourth ba- fourth ranked second base prospect in the top 100? That seems pretty high. Uh, one thing to always remember is that shortstop prospects, a lot of them typically move over to second base. That You want to try to get them to be a shortstop for as long as you can. If it doesn't work out, you slide them over. Um, that could happen with somebody like Boba Shedd. It could happen with Carter Keboom. Um, even though those guys are pretty clearly top 10 overall shortstop prospects. Um, so Bruhan comes in at number four, but it would not surprise me to see him move up significantly by the middle of next season. Uh, this guy is a plus plus runner. Um, everything I've heard about him on the field is he's extremely athletic, really cool to watch, really fun to watch, uh, has a chance to be a plus hitter like Franco, uh, is a switch hitter. Um, he's a little bit more experience, obviously for Bruhan. He, he's 20, uh, he'll turn 21 on February 9th. Uh, he's coming off a year in which he split time between class A Bowling Green and class A advanced Charlotte. Um, but stole 55 bases, hit 320 with a 403 on base percentage. The only real knock against him is a lack of power. He only had nine homers and a 459 slugging percentage between those two spots. Um, but even at Class A Vance Charlotte, uh, I actually did this piece uh, a couple weeks ago about prospects who are not top 100 prospects, may not be on your radar yet, but had really strong finishes to the year. Uh, he, you know, he went to the Florida State League, which we all know is is a pretty good pitcher's league, and he slugged 582 there. Uh, four of his nine homers on the year came in just 27 games with Class A Vance Charlotte. Certainly on the upswing, um, I, I think athleticism translates incredibly well to the upper ma- or upper minors and going into the majors. Uh, you know, the the Rays are at a time right now where they actually have a glut of middle infield prospects and major leaguers. Uh, Brandon Lau is a second baseman who they really like. Obviously, made the majors last year. Nick Solak has actually been moved to the outfield, getting a little bit of time out there, even though he's kind of a natural second baseman, just because they have so many second basemen in the minors right now. I think Bruhan has almost a better ceiling than either of those guys if it all works out um, given what he's shown offensively and on the base paths. Um, So if he can either continue that at Charlotte or even carry it to double a Montgomery, if they get aggressive with him and push him up a level to start 2019 uh, just the package of tools overall is so special with him that would not be surprised to see him become 
even a top 50 overall prospect uh, by the middle of next season, even if he starts out the year uh, outside the top 100. Those guys are fun to watch, the guys who make those those big jumps from uh, beginning of the season to midseason and then midseason into the following year. Uh, so keep an eye out because there's always uh, at least a handful of them, it seems like, from year to year. Uh, and strike three this week, Sam. Prospect projections continue. American League West is the most recent one. We talked about some top prospects from the AL West uh, going into this season. Two of them from the Houston Astros organization in the top ten uh in the new mlb pipeline rankings of forrest woodley and kyle tucker but what else stands out among al west prospect projections yeah so when i put this together um i was kind of thinking like the astros were going to make for such a natural lead into this uh obviously they've had a lot of player development successes in the last couple of years their rebuild working up to a world series um and you know, their system right now is pretty upper minors heavy, I would say. Uh, you mentioned Tucker made his debut last year, absolutely tore up the PCL when he was there. Uh, Forrest Whitley, we all expect to make a debut in 2019 as well. Uh, you know, those are two top 10 overall prospects right there. I thought like, all right, well, that's a pretty natural lead. And then I dug into the Steamer 600 numbers and it turns out Steamer really, really likes Josh James. Uh, which does not surprise me. But what did surprise me was that amongst rookie-eligible pitchers uh, for the 2019 season, he's tied for second in terms of war projection over 200 innings amongst all the rookie-eligible pitchers. Uh, Steamer expects him to be worth three war next year. Uh, That's putting up a 3.96 ERA, uh, 1.30 whip, and striking out 10.2 batters per nine innings uh, over 200 innings. They basically expect him to be the third best pitcher for the Houston Astros behind, you know, Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. Uh, the Astros are losing Dallas Keuchel potentially in free agency. Plugging Josh James, if he were actually meet these projections, would be an incredibly great fit. Um, I love James's story. He's somebody who, you know, coming out of the draft was not really that well thought of. Uh, he was a 34th round pick out of a junior college in Oklahoma in 2014. Some pretty good first couple of years but really you know hit a wall at class a advanced lancaster as so many do um stuff wasn't sticking out to the point where he looked like a top 30 prospect in that system um actually got diagnosed with sleep apnea started to make some lifestyle changes uh went on a cpap machine to help him sleep he's talked in the past about having more energy his velocity started to pick up last spring uh to the point where he was throwing 100 miles an hour when he made the major leagues uh really really cool stuff and he he ended up striking out 36.3% of the batters faced in the minor leagues last year between double a Corpus Christi and triple a Fresno. Uh, the Astros liked him enough to give him a spot in September when rosters expanded. He was actually on the ALCS roster, uh, made two appearances there out of the bullpen, but I think they really believe he has the chance to be a starter uh, and steamer backs that up. You compare that three war to one and a half war for Whitley. Um, obviously he's coming off, uh, kind of a difficult year in terms of what steamer will actually look at um you know he got suspended 50 games for violating the drug policy uh had some other injuries of his own that held him from making you know additional starts in the upper minors really tore things up at, at the afl but steamer doesn't consider fall league numbers uh for kind of obvious reasons it only considers minor league regular season numbers um so as much as we think whitley is the better prospect of the two uh And with the Astros obviously having a couple of rotation spots open, um, you know, both James and Whitley will get long looks this year. But considering James already has that major league time, he succeeded succeeded pretty well in September. uh, And with the way he was just extremely elite uh, in terms of striking out batters last year. uh, It could be a really special year for him. And he's kind of a sleeper AL rookie of the year uh, contender, I would say. I mean, it's going to be difficult to contend with. Vlad Jr. potentially getting that call up and maybe Eloy Jimenez as well. Uh, but if James is there starting opening day and, and ends up making, you know, 170 plus innings uh, for Houston for a contender and being their third best starter. I mean, that's that's a pretty good starting kit for rookie of the year consideration. So looking to him this spring, it will be really cool to see how if his stuff continues and picks up where he left off in 2018 or if he can even add a little bit more uh with the big club next year, but Josh James, definitely somebody to watch who we were not talking about uh, in the same capacity last year. Well, we all know what the Astros need more good young talent. Yeah. 
That's, yeah, uh, it's amazing. An organization that's really been lacking in that in recent years and uh, just hasn't caught a whole lot of breaks. Good thing. No. No. <laughs> Good thing they got some stuff coming. Right. And it, uh, not that I'm saying we should be surprised by Josh James because we were all there for his 2018 season. Um, but when you consider, like, oh, going into a piece, I have to write about Tucker or Whitley and to find out that projection system like their third best prospect or fourth best prospect because Jordan Alvarez is also in that system, even more so than the top two guys is really something. So check out cool. the rest of the piece as well. I mean, it's all AOS. It's A's, Rangers, uh, Mariners, Mariners in particular check out for Justice Sheffield and uh, whether he, whether Steamer thinks he should get a spot out of spring training uh, all down the line. So uh, we got one more of these coming up next week with NLS and then we'll be done with prospect projections for 2019. Which means we're getting close to farm system rankings and all of our uh, the rest of our preseason stuff uh, before spring training opens, which is very, very exciting. Uh, coming up, we're headed to the Cincinnati Red system. Jonathan India is a uh, relatively new face in that system, but a guy who Reds fans are already extremely excited about, the fifth overall draft selection in last year's Major League Baseball first-year player draft, who joins us getting set to head back for his first full year in the Reds organization. Jonathan India joins the show next. Cincinnati Reds organization is where we find this week's guest on the show before the show podcast. The fifth overall draft selection in 2018 is Jonathan India, now the fourth-ranked prospect in that system and a guy who's getting set for his first full year of professional baseball after a very long year of uh, college and the draft process and three levels in the minor leagues. And uh, you finally get to breathe over the offseason for a little while. Now it's like two weeks away from ending. How's, how's everything been uh, getting you know, reacclimated to life away from baseball for a minute? Oh, it's been it's been going good, you know. Just been excited to be home, um, enjoying the time at home that I've had, and uh, but you know I'm itching to get back, you know, because it's it a little boring being without baseball for a while. So <laughs> excited to get back. Well, Jonathan, take us through um, kind of the what the last calendar year has been like for you. you go into into your senior or your uh, your junior year um, with. Uh, program that is uh of the to say elite level would probably be uh undergrading where the florida gators are right now um in the college baseball landscape but you go to to your mm -hmm. junior year you bat 350 with a 1214 ops you're the fifth overall pick in the draft jump into pro ball you go through three levels there um when you look back at what 2018 was like how do you describe that you know for me it was a blessing you know i mean i you know it was a big year for me with baseball and everything and uh you know, I prepared really well for that year because, you know, this is my dream to, you know, be where I'm at right now. So I, it was a lot of preparation going into that year. And, you know, it turned out well for me. So I'm, you know, happy it all went that way. I'm happy I had a hell of a year at Florida. Um, and then, you know, I moved on to the pro ball. And, uh, you know, I did. I, I thought I did fine at pro ball. You know, it was a long year. But um, for me, going into that season, it was just trying to get acclimated to the, the minor, minor league life. So, I didn't really look at the you know production stuff. I just wanted to get used to the life of it. Your your final year in college, um, your numbers through your first two years in college are very good. They take the step to great in your last year. I mean, your OPS, your sophomore year, is 783. It jumps to 1214 in your junior year, and that's in nine more games. Um, what was the key to taking that step forward and, and putting yourself in the conversation as a, a top 10 draft pick? Well, for me, it was mostly mental. You know, knowing that I could play to my ability, not holding anything back, you know, just fully, you know, engaging in my ability to play the way I play. So I set, you know, my sat down with a bunch of coaches in the in the fall of my junior year in Florida and just really talked to them about, you know, my approach this year and how I'm gonna go about my business, you know, when I'm playing. So just really locked in every game mentally and told myself that, you know, player I am that I could you know be a top five draft pick um and it was you know it was confidence so that's what I took and at what point did it feel like it was going to be a special year I mean you you go from six homers to 21 um that doesn't happen just you know by thinking hard about it uh at what point right. did you see the results starting to come at, like they did in the spring um I mean beginning I think it was the first week or two I would you know, I was struggling a little bit, um, but after I think that second weekend against Miami, you know, I started doing well, and that's when I felt myself, you know, this is going to be a good year because I'm so comfortable at the plate. I was comfortable in every game, and 
you know, when you're comfortable out there, you know, anything's possible. So just really locked in after that second weekend and you know, went from there. Yeah, and when you say you are comfortable, I mean, what does comfort mean to you when you are comfortable at the plate? What are you doing um, that allows you to hit for power like you did and become an above-average overall hitter as well that you showed a little bit of, of you know, during pro ball, uh, your first taste of it there last summer? Yeah, um, well, comfort for me is just, you know, it starts for me in the mornings, you know, before the game, you know, before I even get to the field, you know, going through my routine and, um, just, just being who I am and then getting to the field, I just, you know, have a routine there and, um, throughout the whole day, you know, just being comfortable, you know, going into the game will, helps me prepare. So, and then in the games, you know, I'm just confident, you know, like you don't overthink anything, you know, you just play the game you've been playing since you were four years old. So that's how I think when I'm playing. Yeah, and we talked to guys before. We talked to Brady Singer just a couple of weeks ago about that UF program. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. you guys have won a title recently. Um, but mm-hmm. what is the competition like there, and what is it like playing under that microscope? Uh, you know, do you feel like that helped you as somebody who performed under that pressure, being able to play in the SEC and, and dominating the way you did? Or, uh, you know, how did playing at UF prepare you for this first taste of professional baseball? Yeah, I mean, UF, you know, being in the SEC is, I, I, I think, it's the best conference of baseball. You know, it's, you know, top of the top arms you're facing every weekend. You know, you don't get a break off. Even our midweek games, you're facing guys down 94, 95, just because, you know, everyone wants to beat you. You know, you're the team, you're the number one team in the nation. So, you know, playing, you know, under the coaches as well, you know, they, they expect greatness out of you, you know, giving you a chance to be able to play at the UF. You gotta take it as it's like your it's like your job. Um, so you know it, it helped me a lot going into my first pro year. You know I matured more as a as a ball player. You know even as a person I matured more just because of the school aspect. You know dealing with school and baseball. But um, yeah, it, it, they, you know it just helps you grow in every aspect of life. Jonathan, when you Got the the season started last year for the Gators. It was February 16th. You had your season opener against Siena. And uh, your final game of the minor league season was September 3rd, which is uh, a long – to say a long season um, that doesn't begin to encapsulate how long that really is. Uh, and I think from a, a baseball player's standpoint – Everybody kind of thinks, wow, these guys are playing from March through September, October, the major league level. They're used to that. But it's not nearly the same mm-hmm. as when you're a college player and you go through those stretches of time where it's you got your non-conference playing, your conference playing, conference tournament, an NCAA right. tournament. And then you got this layoff uh, after the draft process. You're getting contracts figured out. You're jumping into pro ball. I mean, you go through this roller coaster of ups and downs and starts and stops. And when you got down to the end of, you know, especially August and into September, how did you keep yourself going every day? Because that's exhausting to be at that stage of a year yeah i mean it's it's but it's you know you gotta remember it's part of the process and i told myself you know, every day that you know it's a blessing even being in this position so there's no point in you know complaining and you know thinking like that you know gotta be positive through it because i was you know god put me there and i was i was excited to be in that position so just being positive through the whole process and you know loving the game and that's how i got through it i mean i, I loved every minute of it i, I wouldn't take anything back one thing that stands out um, that's a little bit strange about your year, you get uh, a good swath of time uh, with Greenville and the Appalachian League to get things started. You finish off with Dayton. You're in Class A uh, for really the last month plus of the season. You're in Billings for like 48 hours. What yeah. happened there? <laughs> I, I, I really don't know. Um, <laughs> they, they, I guess they sent me there to play shortstop. And I played there's like three it was two or three games there. Three games. Played you played shortstop. a double header on the twenty eighth of July and you played yep, on the twenty sixth and that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I, and they they called me in the called me in the office and said, Hey, congrats you're on a date and I was like, All right, well that was quick. <laughs> but um no, I mean I enjoyed Billings. Billings was a nice place. Um but then going to Dayton was fun as well. So it was a weird thing, but uh, I mean I didn't mind it. 
And you kind of touched on it a little bit there about them sending you to Billings to to play shortstop. Uh, that's a position mm-hmm. you have some experience with going back to college. But you're primarily a third mm-hmm. baseman, or at least that's how they used you last year, and that's what everybody thinks you will be going forward. Um, right. But how much have the Reds talked to you about moving around the infield? I mean, obviously they've done that with Nick Senzel uh, in the past, and we've talked about that on this show before, about the Reds liking to move guys around, especially you athletic types on the infield. Mm-hmm. Um, what have those discussions been like, you know, this off season or them talking to you going into the off season? Um, I mean, I was a, I'm a shortstop, you know, by heart. I played short my whole life until I got to Florida. Um, they had an older guy there, so stuck me at third as a freshman. But um, I also played a little short at Florida. But um, yeah, I mean, the Reds, they they said, you know, they'll move me around and see where they like me. And I told them I could play, obviously, third, short, and and second. So, I mean, we really haven't talked much about it this offseason. Um, during the season, I played a little short, um, but primarily third. But, you know, we'll see about this season. I have no clue yet. Mm. Well, even going back to last year, like Tyler asked about the aggressive moves that they sent along you along during the season, uh, you know, three different stops. Um, you know, what discussions did they have with you about pushing you that quick? Uh, obviously coming out of a good program and coming out as a college guy, you are more advanced than the average first round pick. But, um, you know, what did you take away from seeing three different places and finishing up at class a, which, you know, most draft picks don't see full season ball in their first year. Yeah. I mean, I was just, I was glad to, you know, finish up in that league, you know, that league's a tough league, you know, big parks out there. Um, good pitching. But, yeah, I was excited to be, you know, finish up there. And, uh, you know, we'll see where I end up uh, this year. They haven't really told much to me. They haven't said much to me yet about it. Um, probably, you know, I'll know by spring training, of course. But, uh, um, yeah, we'll see. I don't know yet. Well, in those three different stops, what did you kind of learn about yourself that you didn't know about yourself yet as a baseball player? Um, you know, I'm sure fatigue played into it somehow, but getting to see – uh, guys every day like that. It's not just weekend ball like it is in college. Uh, you know, wooden bats, all those different, although I know you played in the Cape League as well, so you're a little bit of familiarity with that. Uh, but what did you learn about yourself as a ball player, and what have you identified that you needed to work on this off season and going into the spring? Yeah, I mean, there was a, you know, pro ball is you know, a little different in college. Um, you know, you're around people you know in college, you're, you know, the brotherhood in college. Um, but Pro Bowl, it was, you know, you're on your own. You're sent for yourself. And, I mean, you make friends, of course, but, you know, you never know when you're going to leave. You know, you never know when the next day is you're going to move up, you're going to be sent, you know, get released or, or anything. So it's, it's like a job. So you got treated as your job. Um, and I learned that, you know, you just got to, you know, keep pushing forward and worry about, you know, worry about be a good teammate, but you got to worry about yourself and worry about what you're doing. Um, but, yeah, that's basically it. Jonathan, being in uh, Dayton for uh, the the finish of the season, 27 games there, Dayton is such a unique minor league atmosphere and a place where the Dayton Dragons have sold out um, nearing now 1,400 uh, straight games. They've got a, a sellout streak that goes back to like – the 1930s maybe not that long but it's a long time uh it's over 13 1316 according to uh to their wikipedia page which you always know is correct but it's uh, a ballpark where they pack that place every night and the atmosphere is different from what you see at the vast majority of minor league parks and and reds prospects get to be exposed to that at the class a level which is so cool and i think i feel like a lot of people may not know that about dayton so tell us what it's like being um you know not only being a dayton dragon but being somebody who came in with a a good amount of publicity around you and um obviously a very high rising star in that organization uh what was that like being a part of that that organization for a month yeah, it was awesome. You know, that, that place was, I never, you know, I never expected it to be that, that many fans in a, you know, minor league game. So like, you know, it was more, it was honestly more fans than, than we got at Florida, you know, for our home games, which is surprising. So, you know, they averaged about 10,000 fans a night. Um, and, you know, fans are really into the game. Um, but yeah, no, it, I was, I was glad I got to be a part of that, you know, being around the fans and being around the team and, experience the Dayton dragging you know life it was pretty cool for me so glad I got to be a part of that 
over the offseason, um, as you approach this year, knowing that you may have, um, you know, some looks at third and at short and at second, what is your workload like um, from the defensive side to prepare? Do you do anything different knowing that there's probably going to be some positional versatility this year? Do you work on stuff over the offseason, um, you know, to maybe get you a little bit of a leg up going into this year? How do you handle that work over the offseason? Um, for me, it's just, you know, reps. You know, this game is about reps. Take as much as reps as you could at each position. That's what I've been doing. You know, taking 50 ground balls third, 50 short, and then 50 at second. That's all you could do, you know. I mean, you do work on – I work on my footwork, you know, around the bit, the bag, around second. Um, um, and just, you know, my daily grind of working out and hitting. But, you know, just a bunch of reps at those positions, and that's how you can prepare for that. That's what I do. And speaking of reps, um, you know, based on your college career, based on your minor league career, based on even your Cape League career, uh, when you look back, uh, who is your favorite pitcher to face? And I'll include Florida guys in that too, too in terms of mm-hmm. fall ball or practice or, you know, whatever. When you look back at who you faced so far, what was the your favorite guy uh, to go up against in battle? Well, I mean, for me at Florida, you know, we had squad a lot, and I loved facing uh, Coar and Singer. You know, those were challenges for me. Um, you know, I think I did pretty good against them too. You can even ask them. <laughs> we always <laughs> I was going to say, we had a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Did we you guys keep stats on that? Each other. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't, but the coaches <laughs> did, and I, uh, I think it got them a couple times. But we always, right. we always had good battles against each other, and I loved the challenge with them. Very cool. All right. Well, we, I just got two more quick for you. Um, one of the things that, you know, you're going to learn now as, as being a pro player is you're going to read about your name coming up in trade rumors every once in a while. Uh, that's kind of come up in the, in this last week with the, the Reds mm-hmm. looking to compete this year. JT Real Muto seems to be on the trade radar. And when they're talking about the Marlins looking for back, looking for big prospects back, your name comes up. Um, have you seen those? How much do you pay attention to them? And how do you kind of approach seeing your name now floated around like that? Yeah, I mean, I don't really pay attention to it. No, it's part of, you know, it's part of the business. So you really can't, you know, dwell on it or anything. But um, yeah, I just, I just keep doing my thing every day. I work out and hit and, Try not to pay attention to it. You know, only thing that's on my mind is, you know, spring training um, coming up. So wherever I'm at, I'm, you know, I'm going to compete and play to my best to my ability. Sure. And we'll leave you on this one. When you look forward at what 2019 is going to be, I know you said you don't know where you're going to start out yet. You know, that's obviously still be determined after a long spring training coming up. Uh, but when you look forward to 2019, what would a successful 2019 first full season be for you uh, by your standards? Um, you know, just to move up in the levels, you know, to produce at every level I'm at, you know, depending, you know, and just to play to my, the best of my ability and see what the organization wants to do with me. You know, I'd love to finish up, you know, you know even in the bigs, I would love to finish up there, even have a call, but, you know, we'll see. You know, I just got to play my game and um, see what I can do. Yeah, and just one last one that I just thought of while you were talking about that in terms of preparing for for the Reds and potentially moving up. Uh, You could be teammates with Nick Senzel. You could be teammates with Taylor Trammell, Hunter Green. Some really exciting young names that they've added here, especially as the Reds kind of go for it. Um, Who are you most looking forward to playing with for the first time amongst this group of, you know, young Reds prospects? I mean, I, I can't really pick one out. You know, they're all good dudes. You know, I got to know them this past uh, uh, instructs. They were, they were there just talking to them. Um, even at some of the, the Reds Fest, I saw them again. And, you know, just staying in contact with them. But, you know, they're all good ki- all good kids, you know. Um, they're cool to be friends with. So I'm excited to play with all of them. You know, they're all great players. You know, I think we'll have a pretty good team when we're all up there. A lot of fun stuff coming up in the Cincinnati Reds organization. Jonathan India is the fourth-ranked prospect in that system. He is the sixth-ranked third-base prospect in minor league baseball, according to MLB Pipeline, and number 51 coming out of last year's prospect rankings at the end of the 2018 season. And uh, you can find Jonathan on Twitter, by the way, at Jonathan underscore India. And thanks a ton for the time, man. We really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy the the run-up to this season, last couple weeks before spring training, and uh, have fun every minute, man. We'll be watching. Thanks, Jonathan. Awesome. Thank you, guys.
a full house at Chelsea Market for uh, this week's segment of our uh, our normal conversation with just Benjamin Hill. Not just Benjamin Hill today. Benjamin Hill and Kelsey Hannigan join the show along with Sam out in one room, and I'm all alone. Hey, Tyler. It's very sad. Hi, guys. How is it being in a room <laughs> together? I'm so bummed. This has turned into an fo- intervention very quickly. such FOMO for me. You can come to New York if you want. I know. I know. I uh, remember a couple years ago when I was out there like every other week. I don't know what happened. I never get to hang out in the offices anymore. You guys moved offices like a year ago, and I still have not even seen the new offices. We moved rooms. Moved rooms. Yeah, moved floors. I guess I yeah. could say. I think I think people will be very interested to know that Kelsey doesn't even sit in the same section as everyone else. So. Yeah, huh. this is the first time we've seen Kelsey this week, actually. Yeah. So this is nice. They you guys come and Kelsey since you moved. That's about it. Nice. They see them when they're hungry. <laughs> people just you know that's what they do make they make friends with the candy person um well kelsey had a story up on the site last night uh the the fresno grizzlies have been teasing for a little while that they were going to be rolling out a new look and uh it is a a brandiose designed look they did not rename the team they're not the the fresno grape slingers or something um they kept grizzlies but they did go with a, a new look for for 2019 and beyond and kelsey run through this there are some very interesting elements of this new design for fresno yeah they actually i asked if they considered a new team name since most teams are doing that now doing all well, the you know hicksville golden doodles or something random <laughs> um but they said they did a lot of research in Brandios and like they talked to the community and they, you know, went out and they realized that the Grizzlies already had such a strong identity in Fresno. They decided to keep the name um, and they decided to mix up the color scheme so it's not just tied to one affiliation like it was before with the Giants and the Astros with the orange. Um, though now it is red like the Nationals. That was not necessarily on purpose. Um so they really were focusing on something that they could have forever and not just something trendy or something that will change in a few years, which made me think about the Durham Bulls because they've had their logo forever and are not going to change it. Um, so I think that's something that they really focused on. Um, but, yeah, it's really cool. They focused on the California state flag with the bear and the star and the red line at the bottom of the flag, and you can really see that in their uniforms and the logos. They also, uh, this is the thing that grabbed my attention most out of this story, and Kelsey and I talked about this actually right before the story uh, went live. They're going to go with red pants, red belts, and red socks, and apparently uh, ownership wants players to wear red spikes as well, which uh, I know back in the the 1970s, um, I think it was Boog Powell who, when he played for the Cleveland Indians and they wore all red uniforms, he said he felt like uh, like a giant walking blood clot. Um, they're not going to have red jerseys, which I guess helps, but red pants is, this is going to be a, this is going to be a loud opening day. That's the primary home uniform too. The cream colored jerseys with red pants. Yeah. They tweeted a photo of Dennis Eckersley with that, uh, Indians team saying, thank you for being the OG red pants wear. So they're pretty excited about it. Um, in the pictures, the red hat and the red pants don't seem to be the same shade. So that kind of bothers me, but hopefully in real life and when they're actually on the field, it won't be so different. And one thing we should point out as well this year is that Fresno is changing affiliates, right? So they they were previously an Astros affiliate and the orange kind of made sense for that. Now they're moving towards the Nationals, um, which was one of the more interesting PDC changes of the offseason. Um, does that red have anything to do with the Nats or is this strictly, like you said, a flag thing no like i said it's a coincidence um is what they said about the red um so there's not that many teams or the red is a common team in baseball but not necessarily in california sports uh, which when you think about there are 10 minor league teams in california um though there are a few pcl teams that are red um, but they're not necessarily with black and brown so it is kind of a unique combo but then there's also the fresno state bulldogs which are red so they kind of likes that you can wear your fresno hat to other games in the city oh that's pretty smart i had not considered that that is a that's a really smart idea i noticed one thing last night they also tweeted out that the uh the fresno high school baseball team was at the unveiling which is pretty cool and it seems like um you know even though it's not a complete rebrand and all that type of stuff it's still a way to get the community involved and get people excited about something else um which is you know you're always looking for ways to do that and in january for a team that already has such a loyal following uh kind of a cool way to to reach out and and see your fan base engaged in uh in the middle of the off season 
Yeah, we talk about how, like, isn't this kind of late for a rebrand, but it is still kind of the dog days of winter when there's not much going on, so there's still time wait, wait, wait. to... does winter have dog days? I mean, why wouldn't winter have... I summer thought only summer that. had dog days. I thought wait, 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 should it be, like, animal. cat days? Winter's yeah. dog days just have to be, like, a St. Bernard or a Husky or... Yeah, or, like, an old dog that just wants to sleep. Specific. Well, yeah, or, like, in a fireplace, like an old Cocker Spaniel. Yeah, that's fair. I'm not arguing. I just thought that each animal or animals each season had its own animal. Oh, what would winter be then? A bear? Um, For like Fresno? Well, yeah, Grizzly. I was going to say, Grizzly? bear would be too easy. Yeah, the bear days of winter. You never. That's a common term that everyone <laughs> From now on. Bear and days spring is the groundhogs. Yeah, the groundhog, yeah, the, the groundhog days of spring. <laughs> squirrel days of summer. Fall. See, you, you know what I'm talking about. The squirrel days of fall. It's true. I think I read that blog post. Anyways, to get back on track just a little bit, um, Ben, you know, in kind of the day two story of this, Kelsey wrote up the first day when this came out last night. Um, you know, when you're being on Mill Twitter or just seeing comments around the league or various leagues, um, what do you think the reaction to this has been so far, especially the red pants element? Do you see this being a thing going forward? Could this be like the next piece of Mill fashion, you think? Not red pants specifically, but just different than the white and gray that we see like almost every other team. Yeah, I'd be totally guessing, um, but I wouldn't be surprised just with teams, just the larger trend uh, with names and logos and everything else of just trying to get attention. I wouldn't be surprised if other teams might down the line think, huh, we could have some attention getting pants, you know, <laughs> um, because you don't think of pants as getting attention. Baseball pants are, well, Kelsey. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, she would care not to elaborate, but um, in terms of their color, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that direction teams had down. Red is pretty specific. I'd be surprised if a year from now we're saying, "Oh my God, another team with red, red pants." pants. <laughs> the Augusta Green Jackets going the red yeah. pants was a major choice. <laughs> yeah. But it's getting attention. I think of all the elements of this uh, new logos that I've. Uh, that were unveiled last night. It's certainly the one that people are commenting on the most, and probably by design. Um, you know, a lot of those comments are negative, but you know, when are? Uh, I mean, so, I, we can kind of brush to the side. At, yeah, we'll at see. This point. We'll see how it plays. You know, with the fan base during the season, uh, and how the players respond. If they're going to just be grumbling, like, you know, we might not get too many public quotes about it. And be grumbling about that, like this is ridiculous. Like, you know, that's what I'm interested in. to see. Yeah. Or are they going to? I was going to say, do players care what they wear? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, yes. I think they very much do. You mean care what they wear as regards uh, on the field, like the, the color? So, some of the promo jerseys can get a bit much for guys, I think. And it, yeah, but there is that minor league mentality that you hear all the time, that kind of like cynical minor league player mentality of like, don't like it, play better. better right. <laughs> Red Sox aren't wearing red pants. Yeah, yeah, they're wearing. I do think it's very interesting that they are now a Nationals affiliate, and they made a point of even in the the mocked up graphics, the hanging red socks uh, that were in the graphics just look like a they look like a knockoff brand Red Sox logo. Thought that was kind of uh, obviously unintended, and there's really no way you can get around it. But seems like an interesting thing to do, not being a Red Sox affiliate. But you know, it's uh, if people if people enjoy it, that's that's all that matters, and. Once everybody starts rocking high, pulled up Red Sox to the ballpark every day, then we're going to look like the the weirdos. Um, ben, at this stage, I mean, it's January 30th. So we are, I saw uh, a post yesterday, 70s away, 70 days away from opening day, from home openers. Uh, this, this cycle seems like it should be coming to an end, right, as far as rebrands and redesigns. Do you know if anybody else is still out there? Uh, well, perfect segue, Tyler. Um I'm currently working on a story right now, uh, which I've done the last three years, I believe, um, a rebranding re roundup. I always like to call it a rebranding roundup, but a rebranding roundup because with the unveil of the Grizzlies uniforms yesterday, that officially ended uh, rebranding season, which began in October, mid-October with the Syracuse Mets. And uh, then the Fresno was the, the last of eight teams that either changed their primary logos or unveiled a whole new identity. So I'm in the process of writing a story, wrapping that all up. You know, we might see some anniversary logos, some some stray, you know, side things, but we're not going to see uh, this offseason any more true unveils. So gave us a lot of material, a lot of, you know, 
a lot of great conversations, a lot of laughter and a lot of tears, but it's over that's now. That's just Ben. Yeah, that's just me. <laughs> um, but it's over now. So, uh, you know, with that, uh, tomorrow, the same day this podcast drops, uh, there'll be an article on MILB.com uh, randing it all up. <laughs> I just got that. I just got yeah, that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See if that makes it through edits. Um but yeah, so moving on to the blog, you kind of had a fun blog post last week. We talked about this on the podcast about Hall of Fame past that went through the minors, obviously. But you kind of, speaking of randing things up, uh, rounded up some of the defunct teams that th- these guys played for who are going into the you know Cooperstown Hall of Fame in 2019. So what, it, what were some of the bigger or more, I don't know, uh, the less famous names in terms of minor league teams that your research brought up. Yeah, you know, I was inspired to do this. Um, you know, Sam, you and Kelsey went to the the press conference and did your uh, your articles based on getting you know some great quotes at at the press conference. And um, you know, I used to do that. You know, years ago, that that was kind of articles, and I don't totally miss it, but I I get to, I started to feel like oh, it's like Hall of Fame season. I need to tie that in the minors, and you guys had it covered on your end, and I had just done a blog post about defunct ballparks I had visited, so I merged the two, and I was like, huh, let's you know go to Baseball Reference and see what teams uh, these players played for uh, that are just completely defunct entities. Um, I think Edgar Martinez was probably the most interesting. I mean, one he didn't get into the Hall of Fame on, until his what was this his eighth try or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10th, 10th try yeah, yeah. Uh, and he didn't become a regular full-time player until 27 he was eight he was 27 mm-hmm. years old so his minor league career goes back a long ways and so you look where he started with the bellingham mariners in 1983 in the northwest league um you know that's a team i just never really thought of too much at all and um he went from there to the wasaw timbers you know, played in Wausau, uh, Wisconsin, in the Midwest League, and then they relocated and became the uh, Kane County Cougars in uh, 1991, I believe. And then he went from there, and you know, never forget the Calgary Cannons. And he spent a ton of time uh, with the Calgary Cannons um, because he was hitting well, but just didn't really have a place to break in with the Mariners. So he spent uh, parts of four seasons in Calgary and. Uh, you know, I just kind of looking back at those sort of things and being like, wow, you know, we don't think of these teams very, very often. And just, you know, the Hall of Fame induction or the announcement of the election results just gave us the opportunity uh, to do that. A, a side question that came up with Edgar Martinez is he's played he played hundred like six or seven hundred games in the minors. And I was trying to think, like, who was the last Hall of Famer who played more games in the minors? And I asked that. What do you mean? Like, like who's like who's a guy right now that's struggling between a AAA and the majors? Who will then become in the out, Hall of Fame? Yeah, yeah that's kind of like what we call him a quad A player, but like he actually will make it. It's interesting to think there could be some twenty-six-year-old out yeah. there right now. Or Alan Craig. Yeah, there you go, Alan. I, mean, I don't Kelsey, know about Kelsey Alan called, Craig. You heard right, it here sure. first. Kelsey thinks Alan Craig is getting into in the, the Hall of Fame. Fame. I thought he could. <laughs> if he his career could change like Edgar. Yeah. Climate. Absolutely. Well, I asked this question on Twitter, and I expect Twitter to eventually. There's always going to be, you know, two or three dudes. You know, not to stereotype, but they're almost always dudes who say, you know what, I'm going to spend a lot of time trying to figure this out. And no one answered. No one gave me an answer. Someone brought up Wade Boggs, who was just a few games behind uh, Edgar in the t- amount of minor league time he had, but no one uh, was able to say. So if you know who was the last minor leaguer to play or last Hall of Famer to play in more minor league games than Edgar Martinez. Uh, please let us know, please. And so anyway, my blog post goes on like that. I think Edgar Martinez was the most interesting, but you've got Mariana Rivera with the Fort Lauderdale Yankees in the Florida State League. Um, he moved up from there on to the uh, Albany Colony Yankees, a double-A club that eventually became the Connecticut uh, Defenders, and uh, which is now the Richmond Flying Squirrels. Um, anything else interesting here? Eh, not really. I don't really write interesting things. Um Lee Smith with the Pompano, Pompano? is it Pompano? I, I believe Pompano. so. Pompano Beach Cubs in the Florida State League uh, in 78, and the Wichita Arrows uh, of 1980, and, you know, Wichita is getting a team in 2020. Um, the you know, they they could be the Arrows. Um, I think the fact that Akron had the same name until pretty recently. Yeah, that's and weird. Like, I never really thought about that. There were two separate teams named the Arrows. <laughs> Yeah, well, Wichita has is a hotbed of the aviation industry. So they had a couple team names that referenced aviation. 
But I've seen quotes from the uh, the front office that's heading into Wichita, which is currently the New Orleans baby cakes. And I, they've indicated they probably don't want to do something aviation related, if I have that correctly. But you never know. And it might be on the table down the line because it's a big part of Wichita. Whether they bring back the Arrows name or not is, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. But um, Wichita Arrows. Never forget. I believe they were in the American Association. Yeah, never, back when that was the thing. Forget. I know. Speaking of never forget. Yeah, never forget. <laughs> so, you know, defunct on top of defunct on top of defunct. Check out the blog. Ben's uh, biz. And this is what now your second bringing defunct. Yeah. Like, well, it's such a great now. It's such a great play on words. Well, that's keep, what I'm saying. Like, yeah, what are you gonna do to keep this going? Do you think of the pun and then think of the story? Yeah, all my all my story ideas are a pun first, and then I have to actually <laughs> write an article based on it, which can be pretty tedious, but it's uh, you know, how a true artist works. Yes. Well, now so I'm trying to think what other things could fall under this purview. Maybe the American Association isn't something we ever talk about that much. I already maybe. stole that idea. I wrote yes, a story like two that's years right. ago, Sam. Thanks. Yes. Yeah. I'm just plugging your story, Tyler. That's all. What about defunct concessions? Like weird food that are no <laughs> Defunct concessions? That'd be a good way to bring defunct. I mean, bring defunct. <laughs> oh, I would definitely bring defunct. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you'd mean defunct concessions of things that like people don't sell anymore as opposed to like rotting yeah. storehouses of food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, like that. Like the a big story on food spoilage, like something like that. Yeah, you know, Fifth Third Burger, R.I.P. Those sort of things. That'd be fun to think. It's like, what is something your favorite team, you know, used to sell that they Once don't? Did. Maybe we Once should make big waves up. with. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. If My anybody has any suggestions of a uh, ballpark food that your favorite minor league team doesn't serve anymore, and either you want brought back or you just want it remembered, let's remember some food. Okay. I love remembering. Yeah. Uh, send it to the podcast or send it to Ben directly. Yeah, please. The, send your suggestions, we, not the food. Yeah. Well, yeah, we yeah, just have a, the food. We'll, we'll, we'll accept it. Yeah, Kelsey's all about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can put it on her desk next to the candy. Uh, yeah, it'd be cool. you could offer people like a corn dog when they walk by or something. If you like bring that. it out, people. Yeah. I love when we just have on-air production meetings about, like, yeah. what, should we, what should we write next? <laughs> Seems like a good plan. Um, there are some big anniversaries coming up in baseball in the next uh, calendar year. Major League Baseball will be celebrating its 150th anniversary in 2019. There was a, a jersey patch that was leaked um, the other day. The Minnesota Twins posted pictures of uh, Nelson Cruz in his new Twins uniform, and they accidentally leaked the MLB 150 jersey patch that will be worn by teams in the big leagues this year. It is also Jackie Robinson's 100th birthday this year and i know um you know jackie robinson we've had a lot on the site in uh even just in recent years about jackie robinson's minor league time um but we're gonna have some other cool stuff coming up uh in honor of his 100th birthday um ben do you have a somewhat of a a preview of what fans could see and some of our uh, jackie robinson content uh well the most recent thing i've written on jackie robinson was um about his his legacy in daytona you know the daytona tortugas play in jackie robinson ballpark and that's a reference to the fact that uh, jackie robinson spent 1946 spring training with the club uh with the brooklyn dodgers organization which was his first uh, spring training in um you know in the in, within the major leagues and he wore number nine during that spring training so the tortugas actually wear number nine on jackie robinson day um to get a special permission to do that so um there's a lot of history there through the years we have done a lot of uh, jackie robinson stuff and there's a lot of interesting uh you know little detours and side paths you can take down when it when it comes to uh jackie robinson and, and you know his his story about playing uh, for the montreal royals in the international league in 1946 i mean you could write a book on that just in and of itself so um i know we have a lot in our storehouse and it seems like kelsey knows uh maybe more than i do yeah um our history writer josh jackson has a new story coming out about jackie robinson in his minor league days so that will come up uh, thursday morning and then, yeah, throughout the day, we'll just be celebrating all these stories, kind of like what you touched on with Daytona and Montreal, just celebrating his time in the minor leagues before his historic run in the majors. And one of the more fun things we have on the site as well, um, it, we might have this up tomorrow. I'm sure we'll be sharing it. But it, if you need to see it another way, just Google remembering Jackie Robinson, MILB. Um, we actually have his game log from 1946, 
which is really, really neat. Um, that's from the 1946 season with the Montreal Royals in the International League. Um, we have box scores going back from the Sporting News that year. Um, you can click on dates, see some more details from that. Um, Josh's story will be really neat. If, if you got a chance to read his Cal League North story from this week, um, that went really do, you know dove deep into the history behind that. Um, so, you know, Josh will, Josh's story on that will definitely be a must-read as well. Um, but, yeah, th- this will be a week when I think a lot of people will be talking about Jackie Robinson and uh, his time in the minors was you know, almost as notable, if not more so, than his major league time because it, it was him officially breaking into affiliated ball. So, yeah, check out uh, after his 100th birthday all the stuff we have on the site for that. And, and easy to overlook. I mean, comparatively overlooked is he had two, I believe he had two African-American teammates on those 1946 Montreal yeah. Royals. So, mm. um, you know, he was certainly a trailblazer, the trailblazer, but he didn't do it alone, um, entirely alone. I want to say John Wright and Roy Partlow. I, I'll have to look it up. But, uh, you know, that's another interesting uh, story behind that. And, and other players who were in uh, the minors in 1946, I believe uh, Roy Campanella was playing in New Hampshire, maybe, and, and, and others. Now I'm getting all interested again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty cool stuff. You can check it all out at the site, MILB.com. Ben's blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, Benjamin Hill and Kelsey Hennigan, thanks for stopping by, you guys. Enjoy. Uh, you haven't been crushed quite as badly by the polar vortex. Are you uh, Are you all still functioning for the most part 100%? I mean, I don't prefer it, Tyler. <laughs> but I, I don't prefer survive. it. <laughs> person who has lived in California and Florida does not prefer the... <laughs> cold weather yeah we're gonna get through these bare days together <laughs> thanks guys hey tyler do you have your uh dates already set for your spring training trip i do not quite yet oh okay that's actually my wow. goal this week so when i have everything set and settled um i am going to tweet it out it's like my version of being ben I get to tweet out an itinerary yeah. and tell people where I'll be and all that kind of fun stuff. I got to look at the Grapefruit League schedule, see when teams are in town, and that just makes it so much easier. Um, you know, rather than going to Clearwater only to find out that you know half the system is on a bus to uh, Dunedin that morning. So, going to try to solidify that by the end of the week, but um, that's locked. I know you've already got it; everything locked I in. I do. I do. Jump very uh, stuff. Looking like March 17th to the 22nd, I will be there. Um, it's another one of – it's a very Tyler Mon span of weeks. I'll be, like, on the road for a broadcasting engagement, going directly to Arizona, and then leaving Arizona to go to another broadcasting thing right after it, and I'll be gone in total for, like, two weeks. But uh, I get almost a full week in Arizona, which is super exciting. And, um, yeah, it's uh, – it's my favorite week of the year. Every year, that is my favorite week of the year, getting a chance to go to. The only reason that it's my unquestioned favorite over the last couple of years is I haven't gotten a chance uh, to go to uh, the Arizona Fall League over the last two years, I think, now. Um, that is – we talk about that year in and year out. Uh, if you have a chance to go to the AFL, go there. If you don't and you have a chance to go to spring training, then go to spring training because it's awesome. And specifically go there when Tyler is there. Yeah, yeah, do With, it. Uh, without Josh Jackson this year, it's going to be lonely in the Grand Canyon State. Huh? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not super thrilled about not getting to make up terrible inside jokes with Josh that we've run into the ground over the <laughs> following six months, but that's okay. You know, we'll, uh, we'll have to do it uh, a different way. We last year planned a trip uh, for the three of us to hang out here in the Centennial State. Um, Josh ended up not being able to make it. So this year, the three of us are planning, uh, hopefully at some point, a three of us being me, Sam Dykstra, and Josh Jackson. Uh, we're going to try to take a, a fishing trip to Albuquerque. Josh and I went to Albuquerque a couple years ago, caught some isotopes games, hung out with Josh Sushan, the fantastic radio voice of the Albuquerque isotopes. Um, so hopefully we'll get a chance to do that, and then we can um, just give Josh a whole bunch of grief for not being able to make spring training. We can do that in person. Yes. Rather than me just subtweeting him all the time. I thought that was going to be the whole point of the, the trip. Instead of fly fishing, it was just giving Josh. Just making fun of Josh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, pretty much. By the way, Josh had a terrific story up on the site this week, um, which you should go check out. Josh is uh, he's transitioned into a role as uh, one of our main feature contributors and feature editors. Um, and Josh had a story up on the site about 
some history in the California League, um, especially in the California League's North Division, which obviously has changed a lot over time, but the 1940s and the 1950s, uh, all of the teams that are currently there basically can trace their roots back to the 40s and 50s when the league was first formed. Um, but it, it's in, played in the shadow of World War II and um, the, the way that that league formed coming out of uh, the wartime period. And uh, the Cal League had some fascinating history and I feel like probably gets undercovered, uh, but not as long as Josh Jackson is around because Josh is on the beat. Yes. Check out the site at MILB.com and read Josh's story because it's terrific. Yeah, no, one of my favorite things about that last segment we had with Kelsey and Ben is Kelsey calling Josh our, our history writer, which he 100% is. Yeah, he really um, is. Whenever Josh goes deep into a subject like that and uh, the stuff he finds, and, you know, it, it is stuff that doesn't get talked about enough. And I think, you know, we're a good site for that. We can kind of bring some of that history to the, the foreground. And I, when I say we, I, I almost exclusively mean Josh. Um, yeah. Anytime he writes a history story. And I include that Jackie Robinson piece he's got coming out in that. Um, you know, it's, it's really cool and really worth your time. So uh, keep an eye out for the, that stuff whenever it comes. And uh, do read that Cal League story when you get a chance. You know, either right now after we finish up with this podcast or sometime over the weekend. So you can check that out on the site right now. Uh, for Sam Dykstra, I'm Tyler Mon. Wrapping up this week's episode, we will talk to you next week. Show before the show podcast from MILB.com. Yeah.